Thank you for listening to City Hill Dubai podcast. The Exodus is our brand new series about God's salvation coming through in a time when people are scared and vulnerable. In the series, we also look at questions about finding our identity, our purpose in life, and how to find hope in unprecedented times. Join us in this epic journey where we will discover redemption, identity, and hope. A video format of this series is also available on our YouTube channel, City Hill Dubai. For more information, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. Hi, City Hill. I'm Hannah, and with me is Nikki. We are so pleased you are joining us today as we continue to look at the Exodus. We've seen God bring his people out of slavery into the promised land. We have seen that this journey in so many ways is parallel to our own journey with God. We see that he's brought us out of bondage to sin and living lives independent of him into a new life in Christ. Both back 3,500 years ago and for us today, we've seen that this is all God. It's not by our own efforts. It's not because they or we are worthy to be saved, but it's because of God's amazing, glorious grace. So, Nikki, where are we at with Moses and the Israelites? Thanks, Hannah. Yes, we saw last week with Ali that the Israelites left Egypt and have now been traveling for three months and they've reached Mount Sinai and they're camped at the base of it, and Moses has gone up the mountain and he's spoken with God. More than that, God has instructed him to come back down to the Israelites and have them prepare themselves to hear from him themselves. Now, it's one thing to have a prophet mediating between you and God, but another thing to be hearing directly. And so they need to consecrate themselves. That means they wash themselves, they wash their clothes, and they really got themselves ready for three days later when the trumpets blasted and they all came together to hear from God. Well, so that's quite intimidating because it's said that there is a thick cloud, there was thunder, lightning, and God himself was on the mountain. I'm not sure I would have wanted to stand that close. No, I wouldn't either. And they were, they were afraid. And we have seen, though, in um, recent weeks that the Israelites have come to realize that God is the great I am and to fear him. And this isn't that negative type of fear when we fear circumstances or we fear people. It's a fear that's rightly placed in a sovereign God and being able to trust him, that he is faithful, that he is powerful, that he is glorious and that he is their God. And so it's a good type of fear. But nevertheless, this is a very daunting time for them. So why did God choose them? They haven't seemed so special. Yeah, you're right. There seems to have been a lot of complaining and moaning so far. But we see in God choosing them as a nation of his own, that he set them apart. They're different than the other nations around them. And it's going to be through his relationship with them, his dealings with them, that his character is going to be seen. People watching on are going to see a God that's faithful, that is powerful, that is sovereign. And God's name is going to be known throughout the earth. And God said the same thing about his church in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. But you are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are to be distinct and different from the world. Our lives are meant to draw people to Jesus uh, and bring glory to God. Yeah, that's the idea. And so we have now the Israelites, they're ready to hear from God and they are naturally fearful of it. And when God speaks, he brings to them the, what we call now the Ten Commandments. And it's going to be those 10 laws that today that we're going to look at as we explore Exodus 20. And so Hannah, when you think of Moses and those Ten Commandments, what comes to mind? So I picture Moses with a long white beard, carrying these two tablets, uh, standing on a mountain with dews, stones, um, basically laws for us to live by. And it can make me feel like God is a killjoy. He's legalistic, insanely strict and scary. Yeah, and there can be a lot of confusion and um, mis misunderstanding about the Ten Commandments, particularly how they relate to us now, because we're under the new covenant now. And so today we're going to look at three areas we're going to try to answer. And the first one being, why did God give these Ten Commandments to Israel? Secondly, how do the law and the old covenant relate to us who are living under the new covenant? And thirdly, did, um, did Jesus come to abolish the law? Are we free now to live exactly as we please? Or are we also tied up trying to follow those laws? And so I wonder, Hannah, if you could explain to us, why was it that God gave Israel the law? So as you mentioned, Nikki, there is a lot of misunderstanding. A commandment refers to something given to people from God as principles to live by. These are also called the law as they provide the boundaries that could govern a just society. And these laws um, benefit everyone, not just those in power, but everyone. So the general purpose of a law in the Old Testament, as we discussed earlier, was for Israel to be set apart, meaning they were supposed to be distinct, different, be like him, reflect who God is. And that's right at the heart of all these commandments. If we look back at the story of, of Exodus, who have the Israelites just been set apart from? It's Egypt. Therefore, part of God giving them the Ten Commandments is to demonstrate how Israel is to be unique under his rule and reign as opposed to the yoke of the Egyptians. We see this in the way that they are called away from idol worship to that of the one true God. In fact, the first three commandments is all about having one God, having no other gods before him, having no false idols. And that's not just stones of statues. These are um, things like, money, job, relationships, and don't take God's name in vain because that dishonors him. He wants us to be faithful and wholehearted towards him, just like a marriage where God has actually called himself Israel's husband. In Deuteronomy 7, we see that God uses such language of love where he says that, 
he initiates the relationship with his, his people. They weren't chosen or loved on any merit of their own. Then following comes the seven commandments, showing them how to live in a way that reflects God's character and provides the boundaries that equally benefit all his people. These are like godly precepts they can live by. Imagine how a God whose character is love, faithfulness, just, good, would reflect this in laws to help his people be the same. Thanks, Anna. That really is helpful. Let's look now at how these laws and the old covenant are relate to us who are living under the new covenant. Now, a covenant is a solemn and binding agreement that can be made between two parties. And we looked at this in some detail just a few weeks ago in this series. We looked particularly at the covenant that God made with Abraham, where God promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and that they would have a land of their own. And that one day through his seed, all nations of the world would be blessed. And this was looking towards Jesus. Now we're going to find in the coming chapters that here at Mount Sinai, God makes another covenant with Israel. And again, there is going to be this, the following him and the obeying laws, but there's also going to be the building of a tabernacle somewhere where they're going to meet with God. They're going to worship him. He's going to start up the, the priest system and the sacrifices of animals. There's going to be festivals. And so this is the old covenant and it was called the old covenant or the Mosaic covenant. But when God made this covenant and gave the laws, he knew that they and we cannot keep law in our own strength. And so the Israelites, when they were unfaithful repeatedly to God like that, wife to a husband, these laws would be showing them their own sin and that they needed God to step in and save them. And so the way it had been set up was that every year they would be celebrating the Passover festival. You remember the Passover? We looked at that right at the beginning of Exodus while they're still in Egypt and where the angel of God passed over the Israelites because of the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and protected them from that 10th plague. And so they remembered that each year. And then after that, there would be the day of atonement. And the high priest on this day would come into the most holy place in the tabernacle. And he would make sacrifice for the sin of the nation. And the blood of the animals would atone, would cover their sin and make them right before God. But this had to be repeated year in, year out. It was just a shadow of what was going to come. And God spoke to Israel about this through his prophets. And we have this lovely passage in Ezekiel 36 that says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Here through Ezekiel, God is telling them there's going to come a time when it won't be about in your own strength trying to, to follow laws, but actually through faith and a relationship, the Holy Spirit will be in us, moving us, causing us to want to follow God's laws. And this is just something beautiful that they were looking towards but hadn't yet experienced. 
And so for us, like with Israel, the laws, when we fail to do them, show us our sin and our need for God to step in. And we read in Romans 3:20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law can't make us right with Christ. It can't make us right by following it. It shows us our need for Jesus and for him to save us. And that's why in Galatians 3, verse 24, it says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. The law points us or leads us to Christ, where by faith we can be justified. That means just as if we haven't sinned, to be made righteous, not because we've earned it, not because we're good enough, not because we've been able to follow the law, because we can't, but purely because God's Son is the only one who is perfect and able to. And through what he does on the cross, dying for us, he pays the penalty or the cost of our sin. And it means that we, through faith by grace, can come into a relationship with him. And so, as I have said, the, the law was going to be just a shadow of what was to come. And so for Israel, the law was written on those tablets of stone. But for us, the law is written on our hearts through the Holy Spirit. For Israel, they would have the annual sacrifice of sin to, to atone or cover for their sin for that year. But for us, through the blood of Jesus, once and for all, we can um, have our, our sin atoned for or paid for. Now, the Israelites, they had a great high priest that went into that holy place for them. We have Jesus as our great high priest, that through his broken body, we can enter into that intimate relationship with God. And for Israel, they had the tabernacle where they went to meet with God to worship him. And we, through the blood of Christ, have God himself tabernacle in us, God in us. And there is no building required. Wow, thank you, Nikki. So does that mean that Jesus got rid of the law? Are we free to live as we please or do we need to follow these laws carefully? Yeah, interesting question. As you said at the beginning, Hannah, you were explaining to us God's purposes in giving Israel this law. And those reasons are still valid for us today. None of them were about them being good enough. None of them was about them earning it. But we learn more about it from Jesus. In his Sermon on the Mount, he really gives us insight into what the law was already about. And so, um, by the time of Jesus, we have the leaders in particularly, they have turned the law into something it wasn't supposed to be. They had turned the law and God's precepts and had made them into a list of rules and even their own traditions that they would sort of tick off and say, well, I'm righteous because I've done these all. And that was never what it was supposed to be. That is um, about being legalistic. It's about being good on the outside that doesn't necessarily reflect what's on the inside. And so Jesus talking about this said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Only Jesus could perfectly fulfill the law. 
And so he was coming to show us now that it's far more to do with the inside, our hearts and our attitudes than what is happening outwardly. And he makes a really good point here in this sermon when he says, using some of the law and some of man's traditions, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he goes on, you've heard it say, but I say to you. You've heard it say, but I say to you. And so he's really making the point, Hannah, that even if we think that if we could just about meet those Ten Commandments, that we could tick them off and say that we've done them, that's, that's not actually it. It's pointing at something far deeper. It's talking about what's inside, not what's outside, not that legalistic following. Because I think we can agree that it is possible to act like moral good people. We can, in a sense, put on a mask that actually isn't who we are. It's not the authentic us. And it's just a work of effort on our part. Jesus showed that outwardly keeping law was hypocrisy, that it didn't touch the heart. Well, actually, when we come into relationship um, with God through faith in all that Jesus has done um, and received that grace, the undeserved richness that he gives us, we have a relationship with Jesus and his spirit is in us and it causes us to want to follow the law. And in fact, we have this dynamic at work that even the desiring to live in a way that honors God is all about Jesus. It's because we are rooted in him that gives us a desire to do that. And it's never the, it's the fruit of that relationship. It's a fruit of that desire. It's never the root itself that saves because we cannot be good enough in our own strength. It's not possible. We cannot by good deeds save ourselves. So I wonder now, Hannah, if you could perhaps tell us how Jesus summed up the law and whether we do have to live as we please or follow the laws. Yeah, so Jesus was asked this by one of the Pharisees. And in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, it reads, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the commandments God gives us hangs on these two truths. Love God and love your neighbor. So the law is about a real and proper relationship, not only with God and us, but with its creation itself. So what does loving your neighbor look like? It looks an awful lot like mercy and justice. We see this demonstration a few chapters later in Matthew 25, where Jesus praises those who clothe the naked, feed the hungry, welcome the stranger, and rebukes those who recognize him yet fail to do the same. This is how Jesus sums up the law and demonstrates to his people what following it looks like. 
But as you said earlier, it is Jesus who fulfills the law. It was impossible for us to do so. In Ephesians 2, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you and I can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. It's not a reward for the good things we have done. It is a gift. We are not under any burden to achieve it by our own efforts. So in a sense, we are free. But does this mean we are free to live as we please, live lawlessly? As Paul would say, by no means. As you said, this new life we received when we entered into relationship with Christ in this new covenant produces character in line with God's law. Any and all works now come from that place of fruitful growth as we continue to abide in him. I guess we can take these co concepts of freedom and law pretty widely in today's world. Um, we can look at the culture surrounding us and see people going too far with um, complete freedom and those who are bogged down with rules and legalism. My generation is vastly uh, different from previous generations with social media, comparison, individualism being key marks of our Generation Z. We are open-minded and sensitive with people's feelings and opinions. We embrace divergent perspectives and we're more inclusive than previous generations. We're comfortable with those who are different from us and tend to be less judgmental because of those differences. On the negative side, we tend to be wary of declaring that some actions are simply incorrect or morally wrong. We seem to have a flexible moral compass that leads us to unclear paths and prevent us from making decisions or judgments according to the solid values and convictions we actually hold. We can almost be apologetic about what we believe. On the other end of the scale, we see legalism all around us within our church and in different faiths. In fact, every other religion says, if you wanna escape this fallen world and um, disappear off to paradise, to do this, you have to earn it. You have to do certain things and earn your way there. Every world religion I've come across says, if you live your life well, if you are good enough, if you work hard enough, you can earn your salvation. Christianity is the only one that says, no, 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 you can't earn it. God is too holy and we're too sinful. The only chance you and I have is if God comes down and rescues us and makes a way for us. Because Jesus's life, death and resurrection made a way that we can receive salvation, not as a result of our own works and striving and toiling, but as a free gift that we receive of grace by faith. Good works doesn't earn your salvation. 
but they do demonstrate that your know, salvation has occurred. I, I just want to share that I do struggle with wanting to show that I have it all together. And it can be hard in a church environment. And hopefully I'm not alone here. Maybe some of us here today can be guarded when we get plugged into community because we don't have it all together. So if that's you uh, today, and I'm speaking to myself here, please know that no one expects perfection. If we did, we'd be hideously hypocritical because we are works in progress. And we are imperfect people who daily go to God to receive his grace. None of us here have it together. What we do have is God's grace and his spirit, which is more than enough. Yeah, I think we all struggle like that, Hannah, in, in, in many ways, trying to, be, trying to be good enough. Well, I hope that is helpful. I want to now bring us back to our passage in Exodus 20 so that we can sort of bring it together. And so the Israelites have received these Ten Commandments from God. And we pick up in verse 18 to 20. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself or we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. And so we see here Israel has had that up close personal experience of God. And yes, they want to hear more. They want to listen to him, but they are also wary and they want to do so from a distance. And they ask that Moses would be the mediator from now on. And this is in fact what happens. We're going to see in the coming chapters that Moses goes back up the mountain and God speaks to him, giving him further precepts and instructions to take back down to the Israelites that they might know how to live right before God as his treasured possession. Now they had Moses as their mediator and the amazing news for us is that Jesus is our mediator between us and God. And it says in 1 Timothy 2, five to six, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all people. And so we can come to God not by our own efforts. We've said this a lot, but really it's not by our own efforts. It's not because we're good enough or worthy enough to do that, but purely on the efforts, what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. And we can come through faith, through his grace into that living relationship with God, where he is in us. His spirit is in us, giving us the desire to walk with him, the desire to become more Christ-like because of what he's done on the cross for us. And so today, if you're listening to us and the discussion, maybe you've recognized that you have believed the gospel message, but instead of coming to God to receive grace through faith, You've perhaps tried to be getting your life in, into a good place. You've been trying to be good enough to earn his love, his acceptance. I really want to say lay down those heavy stones, lay down that burden, because that's not how it is. You can come today. You can call out to God today. 
and ask him to come into your life to recognize that you've been going in your own way and that you want to turn around and follow him and accept this gift that he is freely offering you. But perhaps today you are a child of God. Perhaps you already are in that relationship, but realize that you've been trying to earn his approval. You know, like a, a distant father that you've somehow got to show that you're good enough. You need to lay that burden down because actually an understanding of who we are in Christ, our position is really important. We are God's children. We're the apple of his eye. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves more acceptable, more worthy of his love. He loves us already. And like a parent, he wants us to be relaxed and free in our relationship. He wants us to walk in that freedom that comes because his spirit's in us and bringing a freedom that we can walk in the spirit. Um, Philippians talks about this dynamic, which is beautiful, which says that God is working in us, causing us to desire to follow him and walk in a manner honoring of him as we work towards the goal of becoming more like him. And so you've got this God working in us as we outwork it in our lives. And it's not burdensome. burdensome. It's, it's, it's dynamic and it's beautiful and it's empowered by his spirit. And it's what Jesus talks about when he says, I have come that you will have life and life to the full, life in abundance because of me being in this life with you. And so as we come to an end, we just want to end with a verse from Galatians 5, verse 1 that says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I hope that our discussion today has been helpful for you. I hope that perhaps you've got a better understanding of what it means to be under the new covenant and that freedom to live um, not burdened by the law. But nevertheless, we know that the purpose is that you gave it to us. Maybe we could now just close in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is just so rich. Old Testament, New Testament, it all feeds into our lives, Lord, and tells us so much of what your heart is and for how you want us to live in response to loving you. And Lord Jesus, we just really want to pray today for those that perhaps have been trying to be good enough before coming to you. And Lord, we pray now with them, Lord, we recognize that we've been trying to earn our salvation or, or be good enough to be saved, to try to climb up to where you are. And this morning we recognize that that's not needed because you came down to us. And Lord, by faith, we accept Jesus, all that you did to save us. We, we ask by faith that you would come into our hearts and give us this gift of grace and a relationship with you. Lord, we confess that we've been living our lives independently. Please forgive us, Lord, and, and save us today by your, your power, your strength. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we also want to pray for us that perhaps all of us, that perhaps keep on thinking that we need to be good enough and to earn your love. Lord, we, we lay that down. Lord, we recognize today that we aren't good enough. We never will be. Lord, we, we 
ask you to forgive us for, for even striving, Lord, where we might be doing things outwardly that don't touch our hearts. Lord, we ask today that through your spirit, that you would touch our hearts, that we would really have such a sense of you speaking to us, lifting that burden, Lord, that we might walk in that freedom through your spirit. Lord, allow your spirit to change us, to mold us, that we would just have a desire to walk close with you in freedom that you bring in these coming days. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time together. We thank you that we are part of your family of Christ. And we just give you all praise, all honor and all glory for you alone are worthy. We ask all these things in your name, precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Hannah, for today. And we will see you very soon. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Exodus series. To find out more about City Hill, visit www.cityhillglobal.com. We'd love to hear from you.